Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to the Made Hoops podcast, featuring your hosts, Eric Hampford and Brian Flynn, as they take you through everything there is to know on the grassroots basketball circuit, including a spotlight on all the emerging elite middle school basketball talent from coast to coast, including the big time Made Hoops events, highlighting tomorrow's college and NBA stars. Now it's time to lace them up and take the floor with Made Hoops. Welcome to the Made Hoops podcast, episode two. I am your host, Eric Hamford, National Scouting Director of our middle school division, joined by, as always, Brian Flynn, who is our high school scouting director. Brian, we're coming off of our first session of our Winter East Coast Circuit. Being your first event with Made Hoops, It's obviously been our biggest event that we've run to date on the middle school side. What was your thoughts of the overall feel, in the gym feel, everything associated with what went down at Spooky Nook? Yeah, so for me, there was definitely a big time feel around the event. Uh, It's kind of the feel that I haven't gotten in a few years as far as like being at events, either working or covering. Um, Just a matter of the amount of talent that was on each and every court, seemingly in like every single game slate. You know, to me, one of the impressive things that I saw this weekend was just like the thousands of kids and parents waiting for registration, um, you know, having the coaches meeting early on on Friday before everything got started. Everything just had a very professional and very big time atmosphere around the place. The energy was great between the teams and the parents. Um, Overall, it was just a really kind of humbling experience to be involved with something that was, you know, such a big project for us. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that take. And I think part of what made it such a great event was the Spooky Nook facility in general. I mean, it's state of the art. There's 26 courts, very spacious. Even when there was a big time game between two high level teams and it was completely packed, it never felt overly packed. It was just an absolutely awesome facility. So, you know, we want to thank them for, you know, housing us for the weekend and and making it an overall great event for everyone involved. So within that, we need to talk a little bit about the whoopie pie debate. For those of you who aren't exactly aware of what a whoopie pie is, it's basically a heavenly treat that is, its origins come from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania Dutch, uh, Amish country, right where Spooky Nook's located. I went to school down there. I live relatively close to the area, so I'm a huge fan. Um, some of the other names that it goes by are the Black Moon and uh, the BFO, the Big Fat Oreo. Uh, our coworker, B, I introed him to the whoopie pie a few weeks ago and he was just not a fan at all so I I felt personally disrespected by that Brian I know that you had a chance to uh, taste the whoopie pie on Sunday evening what was your overall take on the whoopie pie what what rating do you give it so for me it was a 10 out of 10 with the caveat that it was the first thing I'd eaten in six hours after running the event all weekend so I mean the hunger aspect definitely fit into that but I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I kind of feel like B doesn't know what he's talking about, and I know I'm definitely getting flack for that when I head to the office later. Shots fired. So anyone who isn't completely aware, it's like two pieces of cake, 
chocolate cake. It's circular, and then in the middle is like a vanilla cream filling, but there's different alterations to it. They do a pumpkin version with uh, cream cheese. It's just incredible. So there is now whoopie pies being sold in different parts of the country. So see if you have some local to you. And if not, when you come back in the area to Spooky Nook, definitely give it a try. Now let's talk about what we're here to really talk about, which is the basketball from over the weekend. Brian, let's talk about some of the Red League teams that you saw that were impressive. Yeah, we spent some time talking in the preview about both New York Lightning and Team United and how they were potentially uh, some of the major title contenders that we had this season. Uh, we thought that maybe Boo Williams and Takeover would be the other two that we really thought were going to, at least in the beginning, look like front runners. Uh, we were lucky enough to see two of those matchups right away. I mean, Lightning versus Takeover was obviously very good. Uh, with Lightning winning that game, Takeover didn't have Donovan Freeman, which, as we both know, is like a major factor for them this year. So that is going to be something that we need to keep in mind as far as um, trying to continue to rank these guys moving forward. And as far as United goes, they picked up a really, really impressive, like convincing win against Boo Williams, led basically the entire way through. Um, Cameron Scott looks like he might be the most versatile and translatable scorer in the, in the Red League this year. I think they are going to be a really tough team as a whole. I mean, Jaron Stevenson's another guy at 6'6 that we need to keep an eye out for, too. But for me, the big takeaway is that Lightning and United are the class of the Red League at this point. Um, what, what do you feel like some teams are that surprised you in the Red League? So one team right off the bat that I really you know found to be surprising, not that I didn't think they were going to come ready to play with kids, but they were so good last year that I felt that they were just going to take a downturn. Team Durant, they ended session one with a three and one record. Uh, I was intro to Justin Gilmore, their starting point guard, who may have been you know the quickest guard in the league that I've seen. If not, he's probably a top three as far as end to end speed. And then they have an athletic anchor on the inside at six seven with Emmanuel Okatondo who was definitely, you know, one of the more surprising uh, prospects in the league at this first session as well. So Team Durant definitely reloaded, and, you know, they were really impressive to start. The New Jersey players, uh, a.k.a. the Cardiac Kids, they had a one-point win versus City Rocks. They came back from a huge deficit. T.J. Robinson got scored with uh, or got fouled with .4 seconds remaining in regulation. Uh, down one, he knocked down both free throws, gave them the win. Then they had a two-point win over Team Final. Um, where Ahmad Noel missed uh, two point blank shots in the final seconds. They finished the session three and one overall and with a backcourt of TJ Robinson, Samir Thomas, Isaiah Brown, Bryson Brown, and Dylan Harper. They look like they're going to be a force to be reckoned with because like we said in the first episode of the pod, guards tend to win games and they have no shortage of them. Now, Brian, who were some of the Red League teams that surprised you as far as maybe they weren't on your radar, you weren't aware of what they had coming in, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, for me, it, it starts and ends with the NJ Scholars. Uh, they finished with a 3-1 three and, three and one record. Um, and while their schedule wasn't necessarily the strongest, I mean, they, they did what they were supposed to do, right? Like, they beat PSA 45-37. They beat City Rocks 49-44. Uh, their only loss on the weekend is to that Team Durant team you were just talking about. Uh, for them, it starts with Nas Cunningham, who's really talented. But for me, it was Savad Goodwin that was really kind of the complimentary scorer and more, almost more gritty and willing to do have like more of an all-around game that really kind of helped them pick up those wins. Um, 
but I mean, I know that Cunningham also had a big weekend as well. And that was somebody that who really impressed you. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about Cunningham's game? I'm a huge Nazir Cunningham fan. Uh, he actually played during the first session last year as a seventh grader with Train to Go. At about that time, he was, you know, like a lanky, wiry, 6'2", 6'3". Uh, semi-score hadn't really been able to put anything together, but you could tell he was going to be, you know, a pretty good prospect at some point. Now he comes back this year playing with the NJ Scholars, legitimately 6'5", shooting the ball well, can get to the rim, starting to fill out his frame. I mean, he made a huge jump from last year to this year, so he was somebody who really jumped off the page and I think was, you know, arguably the biggest breakout performer from that red division. Another guy who we have to talk about is uh, Jeremiah Jenkins, uh, known as JJ, point guard for expressions elite his scoring prowess competitiveness and toughness was you know unmatched and he willed them to a crucial win on sunday over team durant that was pretty impressive he may have been the the top overall scorer in the division so shouts to jeremiah jenkins and then ahmad noel for team final i mean i said it last year i'll say it again this kid is special i mean he's his rebounding tenacity from the guard spot was noteworthy during session one uh i would say he probably averaged close to double digit rebounds from the point guard spot which is you know pretty insane his overall feel his physical play he's got the the prototypical philly guard you know tendencies to him but his high iq and his just overall feel is so impressive another standout from the red league was boogie fland with psa uh, I saw Boogie last year with uh, the New York Gauchos. He's continued to grow. He's about 5'10 at this point. Knockdown shooter from the outside. He's got impressive, impressive vision, and, and he knows how to pass the ball. He almost had a Tremont Waters-esque feel to his game. So, yeah, he had to sit out Sunday with a bit of an Achilles injury, but I'm looking forward to see what Boogie builds on for uh, the coming sessions. Now, when we talk about Boogie, that's obviously a five-star nickname. Brian, going through your history in the grassroots industry, what were some good nicknames that you've come across over the years? Yeah, one of the more recent ones is Biscuit Holloway. Uh, played with CP3 in the league last year, actually, and is arguably one of the top freshmen in North Carolina this year. Uh, staying in North Carolina, another one is current UNC Tar Heel, Leaky Black. Anyone who's willing to go by Leaky, I'm a huge fan of. And thirdly, anyone who goes by Zeke for Isaiah, I think is great. Just from both the standpoint of, like, a nod to Isaiah Thomas and how great he was, but my grandpa also's nickname was Zeke, so I have a bit of a soft spot there as well. So basically what you're saying is we're going to start calling you Zeke Flynn going forward? Okay, got it. Great. Um, Brian, give me some of your Red League players who were standouts to you. Yeah, like I said, it starts with Cam Scott. Like I said, 6'6", super versatile score. He looks like he's going to be one of kind of those like Swiss Army Knife players moving forward. Eric, I know how you had a chance to sit down with him at Spooky Nook over the weekend and got to speak with him for a few minutes with him speaking on various topics. Uh, another guy that I really thought had a nice weekend was Tariq Watson, a 6'6 wing, um, a guy that we thought was a combo forward kind of going into the weekend. He showed some more of a perimeter game. And I think the most important part is that he came in looking way more athletic than we've ever seen him. I mean, he's always been a physically put together kid from an early age. So to see him have that balance and be able to do a little more things on the perimeter is just another step in his development and something that's going to be really important for him because honestly, we don't know if he's going to grow height wise anymore. And if he didn't, he'd end up as a six, six, four. So that's a really nice and promising development. Um, another guy who I thought was really interesting was Stephen Osai, who played with Uplay, play um, like six, five, six, six, big 
super athletic, brought the energy, was always trying to run the floor, uh, dominated on the on the glass, uh, and and was probably one of the better shot blockers in the Red League I saw this weekend. Um, and I have to say that if it wasn't Osai that was the best shot blocker I saw, it might have been Tyler Davis, who was another high-energy guy, another rebounder, another shot blocker. But for me, with Davis, it was a lot of attacking the offensive glass and throwing in a couple of hammers and just kind of getting his teammates energized. And it kind of really swung a lot of games for each one teach one with just the energy that he brought to the floor. Yeah, I'm totally on board with those guys that you mentioned. I think my biggest takeaway with Tariq Watson was definitely the athleticism. Uh, I think the wing skills are still a work in progress, but you know how much bouncier he's gotten over the past several months is is a great indicator going forward. Uh, Osai is probably closer to six eight at this point, which I think is going to be huge for him. It seems like you play usually has bigs who are you know ahead of the curve as far as actual size at this point in their uh, careers and then it comes down to how hard they're willing to work so I'm excited to see over the next year where his game goes and I got a chance to see Tyler Davis uh, in Florida in September uh, working out with the each one teach one kids so Tyler was definitely another kid that I was excited to see coming into the league so I'm glad that we both felt the same way about him now as far as disappointments in the red league what was a team that maybe you know didn't live up to your expectations uh, this hurts me a little bit to say um, because I'm such a New Yorker, but the Rens were a bit of a disappointment for me. Um, basically, in years past, they've had guys like Musa Cisse, Derek Whitehead, um, you know, just like clear five star talents, guys that kind of help them stay near the top of the league simply on their kind of almost borderline generational talents alone. And there is no, like, clear-cut, this guy is a high-major kid no matter what on this team. Now, they do have a three really talented pieces in, like, 6'3 scoring guard Dwayne Pierce, six-foot point guard Jaden Ramirez, and 6'6 forward uh, Nathan Tismala goes by Nat. All three of those guys look like really interesting long-term pieces, but as a group, this team is yet to put it together, and they had a really tough schedule this weekend, so... Getting off to a slow start kind of hurts them moving forward, but definitely a disappointment for me. Great. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, a team that was a disappointment for me in the Red League. Uh, I'm going to have to go with expressions. They ended up getting a crucial win over Team Durant to close out Sunday. But just coming into league play, I was I was really hopeful with they have a veteran team with some guys back from their team last year. They have a star point guard in Jeremiah Jenkins. Now, they were missing a 6'4", 6'5", piece that I think is you know going to be a bit of a game changer going forward. Um, and I do think that they're going to end up coming around and winning more games. But I was hoping they were going to win at least two games to start the session. So I have expressions you know on my radar as a team right now whose stock is down. But you know hopefully going into session two, they can turn things around. Now, let's talk uh, a little bit about the Green League. Let's start with some of the surprise teams in the Green League. I'll start. I have to start with Train to Go. They ended the session 3-1. and one. Uh, We talked a little bit about 6-7 Terry Copeland in episode one. He went absolutely beast mode 
uh, over the weekend. I, he averaged, averaged at least 20 points a game, uh, probably 10-plus rebounds a game. There was nobody in the division who could stop him, sim- simply put. He has some guys around him who can shoot the ball and make some things happen, but everything within that offense goes through Terry, and it showed with them you know, finalizing their record at 3-1 and, and and looking to make a real statement heading into Session 2. Another team that I think, you know, outperformed what I expected of them was Team Fidance. You know, their two wins were blowout wins. They almost took down Team Takeover Oladipo, losing a tough one, 63 to 59. They have some skilled guards. They have some athletes on the wing. Not really a true big man, but they have some hard-nosed, you know, forwards who are not afraid to do the dirty work. So I think Fidance is a team that we have to keep our eyes on going forward. Brian, who were some of the Greed League teams that surprised you? Yeah, so for me, it was the Gauchos. I mean, we talked about them a little bit in the preview podcast, but they finished three and one. I was curious to see what Markel Austin and Danny Carbuccia would do against the rest of the Green League. Uh, Both of them played very well over the weekend and kind of took turns being like the go-to guy for them. So they're a really interesting group. I actually watched them pick up a really nice win against a tough New York Lightning team. That is definitely the second team I want to highlight here. Uh, You know, spearheaded by guard Stephen Williams um, Steve looks a little bit more like a football player than a basketball player at this point um, and I think that kind of threw dudes off but he can really score it he's just got an innate scoring ability shot it really well was able to get his own shot off the dribble and I think was a, a big factor why uh, Lightning ended up going two and two this weekend but for me it's also kind of a statement about where Lightning is as a program that they can come in with a B team and still pick up a 500 record um now that I mentioned guys like Steven and Danny, who are some guys that you thought really showed out in the Green League this past weekend? I think Team Durant's uh, guard, Dell Jones. You know, he was a big piece of their team last year as a seventh grader. They finished the session 4-0, and really dominating, you know, the teams they played. He's, you know, 6-2, 6-3, wired to score the basketball. Not really a pass-first guy, but he doesn't need to be for what they're looking for. Um, brings it on both ends of the court, long, athletic, but, you know, his calling card is a scoring ability. So he's going to end up being probably a top-five scorer in that league regardless of position. So Dell was definitely one. Jaden Myers for the New Jersey players. Um one of the younger eighth graders that I got a chance to evaluate showed off his scoring skills, crafty finisher with both hands, can hit open shots when uh, nobody's guarding him, working on his mid-range game, but has some nice tools, you know, off the dribble, etc. So Jaden was one guy who I really enjoyed watching. Now, Brian, give me your Green League prospect on a roll. Yeah, biggest surprise for me was definitely Justin Pauling. About a 5'10", 5'11 guard from USC Unleashed. Um, physical slashing guard, can really put the ball on the floor and attack. Uh, it was super competitive and like made the point to try to get his teammates up as far as energy-wise. Was definitely a leader on the floor. Um, as, he, as you pointed out over the weekend, he's only 13 still, which makes him super young for the class. Um, so he's definitely one to keep an eye on moving forward. And then, again, Stephen Williams, just like – how easily he was able to score from all three levels and and really kind of keep defenses off balance. Those are the two guys that kind of stood out in the Green League for me this weekend. Now, when we talk about our seventh grade Blue League, it's looking very strong to start with some serious firepower at the top. When I think about guys who really caught my attention, I want to start with team final guard Judah Hidalgo. Already about 6'2", 6'3", 
three-level scoring ability, can get to the basket, knock down shots from the outside. The team as a whole is very cohesive. They share the ball. They can knock down shots. Definitely one of the front runners uh, as we head into session two and beyond, but Judah was somebody who you know, I had to mention based on his play. The Gauchos are also an undefeated team after one session. Brandon Stores getting it done for them, scoring the basketball around the rim, rebounding at a high level on both ends, just bringing a leadership perspective and a force that you know not many teams can match at this point. Another prospect who I really enjoyed and got my first time uh, evaluating him was BABC prep big man Samuel Fleming, already a legitimate 6'4", pushing 6'5", with a longer wingspan. His size, fluidity, and length in blocking shots just made him one of the most disruptive prospects in the entire league. So going forward, I'm, I'm excited to see how he builds on that from the offensive side. Who landed on your Blue League honor roll, Brian? If Fleming is one of the better defensive bigs, then Sharif Jackson would be one of the better offensive bigs that I think both of us saw in that seventh grade division this weekend. Uh, son of former NBA player Mark Jackson, it, you could definitely tell, right? Like he has the touch, he has the footwork. He's probably about six four right now. Like he's just so advanced offensively for what a big usually is at this age that it's such a separator for him. And I think you would agree that you could definitely see that Mark's had his hands all over his development so far. And then the second kid for me is another New Yorker, surprise, surprise, and that's Caden Mingo, about a 5'11 point guard, super quick, great vision, was really willing to kind of move the ball up the floor and not let it stick, um, but also carried a lot of the scoring load for that talented Black Ops group that we previewed earlier uh, last week as well. Yeah, if Black Ops is going to win a championship in this division, it's going to go through the scoring of Caden Mingo, and he was extremely fun to watch during session one. Now, as we pivot to the seventh grade Purple League, looks like we're going to have a really fun season with six teams currently undefeated. Blue Wave Elite, NJ Shore Shots, South Carolina Unleashed, Brampton Warriors, Grind Academy, and Black Ops DC, all carrying 4-0 or 3-0 records. So once we get into session two, we're going to really see who begins to separate themselves few of my favorites uh, going into this next session, Blue Wave Elite. You know, we mentioned them a little bit on pod one talking about it was the first team we had coming from the state of Maine. Uh, I, I heard whispers about, you know, their star player, Cooper Flag, and he lived up to the billing. You know, he's a, a 6'2", pushing 6'3", really skilled wing forward. Uh, he held, had the ball in transition a lot. He rebounded and, and you know, went the length of the floor, showed he could shoot the the basketball from the outside. And he's got, you know, he's flanked by some serious perimeter firepower. And, you know, his brother Ace, who is also a 6'2", 6'3", more of an inside scorer. So it's a highly skilled group with some translatable prospects. South Carolina Unleashed. Now, they came into this league raving about their 2025 group. And after one session, it looks like they're meeting those expectations. Behind the play of uh, 6'3", 6'4", big man Trey Smith and their fun guard Mike Jones, I mean, they're one of the best duos that we have in the entire league so far. What were some of your takeaways from the Purple League, Brian? Uh, for me, it was starts in a, it starts with Black Ops DC and point guard Josiah Candidate who's maybe 5'5 five, five on a good day, um, but super, super shifty, very, very intense, and could get his shot off when and wherever he wanted. Um, a very good shooter as well, super confident, definitely have a bit of flair to his game. He's definitely going to be the guy that kind of leads that DC group moving forward. 
And then on the flip side, David Carr, who we didn't really get to see show a ton of emotion because his head coach, Mike Rice, is definitely carrying the emotion for, for that team as a whole. But Carr is another kid who's super advanced for a seventh grader as far as his size, his touch around the rim, and, and his willingness to compete. All right, so now we're going to move down to our sixth grade leagues. So let's talk a little bit about teams who excelled on the opening weekend. To start that conversation, we welcome Made Hoops event manager and player evaluator Rob Noonan. How are you today, Rob? Hey, what's up, Eric? I'm doing well. Thank you and Brian for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this podcast this week. You know, it's week two. Now we're diving into sixth grade and futures where I was camped out all weekend. Absolutely. Through session one, Black Ops and Above All Costs are the only two teams who remain unblemished with 4-0 records in the Gray League. In the White League, ASA Select and South Carolina Unleashed are the only undefeated teams remaining. Rob, what did you see across the sixth grade league la- uh, landscape? So I got to watch, you know, one game, which was my game of the, of the weekend, was Above All Costs and Takeover. So they're two of the top teams in the country. They're both from the D.C. area. They're competing for the same kids. This game was no joke. So you had on the baseline, we had to move it to the wood courts because there was going to be so many people there. You know, there's there's no love loss, anything that happens with those two teams. So you had the whole baseline completely filled out with people. It was standing room only. Uh, So above all costs came victorious in that game. But I think the atmosphere of the game for sixth grade basketball was something that set everything else apart from every other game and it was a good game that went down to the wire hold on just a second rob i do want to interject quickly for the listeners just to point out not only are they from the same area but above all costs point guard jamal mcknight was with takeover last year he played with them in our futures frenzy tournament so when you have guys who have played for the opposing team obviously that's going to create a little more animosity and make things you know a little more fiery so that was one storyline within that game itself but go ahead keep going Absolutely. So now, uh, you know, the other takeover team was great. So that was takeover Grant. Now they played BAC, BABC prep, which was another game that was down to the wire. And that's where I found out of one of the kids that I thought was the most impressive guard in the sixth grade circuit, Antonio Pemberton. This kid is a man on a mission. His handles are freaky and he's got a bag of tricks for everything. So whatever you throw at him defensively, he's got some kind of counter to that which he was making kids look silly. I mean, I was watching him, and, and I kept asking, who was that, who was that? And, I mean, if he's not one of the best point guards in the region, then I don't know who is because I don't see many kids at that level being better than him. Uh, you know, so now let's talk about, you know, Troy Green from Team Takeover Grant. If he stays on his path, he's going to be a really good wing moving forward. Um, I really liked his upside. He was very energetic. And he's a kid that I want to keep an eye on moving forward Uh, as going off of another sixth grade team, which I was really impressed with. And they've had some impressive older teams in the seventh and eighth grade. That's black ops. Uh, Sincere folk was a really fun player to watch. He's, he's got a street ball attitude. He's got a slippery handle that allows him to sneak past defenders. And I mean, I'm going to tap on the, the street ball look because he's got the high socks. He's got the low shorts. And it, w- it brings you back into the early 2000s, and it was fun to watch because, you know, a kid playing like that, you don't see too many kids play like that too often. And I think his, his apparel and how he carries himself with his confidence it sets him to par of how he played. Um, and the last kid I'll touch on, which you touched on before about playing for Team Takeover last year, is Jamal McKnight. 
from above all costs. His dad's the coach, but this kid can play. Uh, he plays with incredible poison pace. I was watching his pick and roll game and I was in awe. I mean, he was just slowing defenders down, you know, getting past them with ease on his quick first step. And, you know, you might think, all right, well, of course, you know, that's what point guards are supposed to do. But what impressed me the most and which nobody is completely aware on is he's a fifth grader playing up. So when you're a fifth grader playing up to sixth grade with one of the best teams in the country, playing against other best teams in the country and performing at still a high level and, and doing the things that you're doing, discipline and pace, I mean, that's a kid that, you know, you're going to keep looking after going forward. So, e, I know you had a chance to catch some sixth grade action as well. What were your takeaways of the overall talented pool? I thought the sixth grade pool was, you know, very, very impressive. I, I didn't know what to really expect coming in. Circling back on Jamal McKnight, the fact that he's able to play up a grade on that level of a circuit and and shine just goes to show that, you know, right now, while it's early, he's probably one of the best point guards in the country in that class. And I don't think too many people are going to argue that, especially in the DMV area. Now, a few guys that I was particularly impressed with, Jordan Clark Hippolyte. He's a 2026 forward from DC United. He's a prospect with a strong frame. He used it to his advantage while leading them to a 3-1 and record last weekend. Scored with ease around the rim, was a terror rebounding on both ends of the floor, and just generally a leader for that group. Now, ASA Select also had a great opening session. A huge part of that was their wing forward, Alexander Egbuono. Uh, what impressed me most about his game was that even though he's a prospect with a bit of a bigger frame, not the quickest guy, he had a nice versatile skill set and showed that he can score from anywhere from the rim to the three-point line. South Carolina Unleashed, another team that uh, remains undefeated uh, through one session. Point guard Damari Bailey. I mean, this kid was awesome in transition. He was one of the more impressive guards that we viewed in either of the sixth grade leagues. Not only could he score with ease on the break, but he showed fantastic court vision and ball skills as well, consistently finding teammates for easy scores. Uh, Boo Williams, Dream Chasers United, uh, guard Callan Morrison. So far, he's shown that he's one of the better scorers in his league. He's a smooth stroke from behind the three-point line and has confidence for days when shooting the basketball. And he probably has one of the better handles among the guards in that division. Uh, the City Rocks have a fun little guard in Elijah Taylor. Uh, I really like what the future is going to hold for this point guard. He has solid ball skills already. He's unselfish and has advanced court vision. He also has a solid perimeter shot and sound mechanics within that. And the last guy I want to talk about is Josh Swish, Jaleel Owosu with the Riverside Hawks. Uh, the New York City point guard has an excellent skill game. He's efficient using both hands as a passer and as a finisher and displayed a great floater game throughout the tournament. He's capable now of playing both on or off the ball, which just makes him more of a dynamic guard than we saw that he even was last year. Now, outside of league play, we also had two individual futures tournaments running at the event for our fifth and fourth grade divisions. Rob, run us through who won those championships and who some of your standouts were in those divisions. So, I mean, the futures was electric from start to finish. I mean, between the fourth and fifth grade, it was high-level games, nonstop, fans going wild so to build off of that you know you had four overtime games for fifth grade and you had two overtime games for fourth grade one of those games was ksk hilltopper heat which went into double overtime and ksk king street kings came out victorious now there's three kids i want to highlight on that team uh one of them is sincere infinite amin ra I haven't seen a kid in fifth grade that 
that's as shifty as him, that he was breaking down defenders. He was getting to the rim. He was finishing through contact. Really impressive for a fifth grader. And, I mean, his skill set with the ball, his confidence was was key to his success in what he did. Now, they have a skilled wing in Kevin Wheatley. He, he's a 5'4 wing. He's got long arms. He can do multiple things. Now, it's hard to tack on, you know, this kid's going to be this because they're so young. So from looking at his attributes and what he can be, I think if he stays on his path, of continuing to grow and continuing to work on his skill, he'll be a very good middle school player and beyond. So I can see that they are getting him to handle the ball early. So as he continues to grow, there won't be any, you know, uh, he won't plateau in any sort of way where he'll be, you know, a, a six foot postman where he'll just kind of fizzle out. So I'm excited to see his development. And lastly on that team, you know, they have like a big three. So their third guy is a mod cook who's five, nine. And, He's solidified, you know, what a post presence is. He's he's stocky, you know, he's got thick shoulders, he's got a bigger frame. He's very difficult to move when you're at that level because, you know, no not many kids have hit even close to a growth spurt. So he's the kid that I want to continue to watch. Now, in the championship, that was Isaiah Whitehead Elite versus Team Durant. Now, Isaiah Whitehead Elite. It was a, a lopsided victory, to say the least. It was about a 15-point victory. Um, but there's two kids on Isaiah Whitehead Elite that are going to be really, really special. Now, the MVP for the tournament, and who was an Isaiah Whitehead Elite player, is Deshaun Yates. He scored 25 points in the win. He's a very skilled point guard for his age. He's more filled out than most. He likes contact. And, I mean, he was a scoring machine from multiple levels. Now they have another point guard in Taiji Clark. I saw him make a sidestep three. I saw him do a step back, and I thought to myself, there's no way that an average fifth grader makes that. So, I mean, he, he's a different kind of point guard that I want to watch moving forward. Rob, let's, let's, Rob let's, let's switch lanes a little bit. Let's talk about how would you power rank some of these fifth grade teams that played this past weekend? I want to really get uh, the listeners going. How would you power rank these guys? So if you were going, you know, are you talking about as far as teams or players? Because, you know, I could do both. Let's go with just the teams. So if you're looking at number one, it's it's Isaiah Whitehead Elite um, with the players that they bring. And, you know, going off of that, Team Durant. Now, Team Durant, they don't have any star power per se, or at least not yet. But from what I was watching, you had a very fast-paced team that was – going up and down the court, you know, going to run you out of the gym and shoot a lot of threes. And, you know, to that, they made a ton of threes, but it was just made difficult in that one game in the championship where the length of Isaiah Wade had elite made it difficult. Now, Fidance also has a very, very good team that were missing three key players. And, I mean, they still came out and competed and got to the final four. My fourth-ranked team, that's, that's King Street Kings, without a doubt. Like I said, you know, you had those big three and Sincere and Ahmad and Kevin Wheatley. So I think moving forward, you're going to see King Street Kings climb up the rankings with those big three that they have. And the New York Rising Stars were another team that surprised me, and they come in at number five. Uh, they had a lot of talented players but what surprised me most 
was in one specific game when they played Isaiah Whitehead Elite. They went to overtime, and their point guard, Justice Gales, you know, there's one second left. He sinks two free throws for the win. I thought that was an ultimate gut check for a kid that's in fifth grade to, you know, not even let alone make the two free throws, which is difficult when you're in fifth grade, but to make it under that amount of pressure. Absolutely. So the top five teams in the fifth grade rankings, Rob Noonan's make sure you at him on all social media, hound him, whatever you got to do. He's got Isaiah Whitehead elite at one team Duran at two Fidance at three King street Kings at four and the New York rising stars at five. Now let's talk a little bit about the fourth grade division, Rob. So the most impressive team um, that didn't win, but as looking at things from a basketball perspective is the Rens. So they're a team that they played hard. They played the right way. They were disciplined on both sides of the ball. I was really not, you know, looking for that particularly, but it stood out so much where I was like, wow, you know, I can't really believe that these kids are that disciplined at this young. I mean, to go off of that too, like after the game, they went up, every single player went up to the ref. They shook their hand and they walked off. And I've never seen an eight or nine year old do that before in my life, let alone a whole entire team. Um, And their game versus takeover, you know, those are two heavy hitting programs that really went at it. So these programs preach toughness and physicality. And these fourth graders left it all on the court. And it was really fun to watch. Now the champion was Brampton Warriors and they were an absolute force. Uh, They had one close game in pool play versus takeover, which was a one point win. Uh, But from there on out, the rest of the games, they were winning by 10 points or more. Uh, Even in the championship, they won by 11 or takeover. Uh, They actually played takeover twice. They They beat them by one point in pool play. And then they went on to beat them by 11 in the championship. Uh, Another team who had a great weekend were the Boo Williams Dream Chasers. They were holding opponents, which was, this is the statistic of the weekend. They were holding opponents to 25 points a game. Now, that's impressive, you know, no matter what level you're playing at, because they're scoring about 38 points a game when I did the math to it. So to hold teams, I mean, they hold one team to nine points. They held another team to 11. It was it was impressive. So, you know, now when I was watching them, I was really impressed with the energy and discipline they had on the defensive end, and they really locked in on what they were doing. That's a lot of great insight on our futures divisions from Rob Noonan, who is our events manager slash player evaluator. Rob, thank you for coming on. You are our first official guest on the Made Hoops pod. Now, as we switch lanes, we're going to head to the high school ranks. Brian, you flew down to North Carolina two weekends ago for Phenom Hoops National High School Showcase, and you came away with plenty of nuggets for recruiting fans. Let's dive into your major weekend takeaways. Yeah, I mean, we're a bit removed from that, so I've had plenty of time to think about you know what the biggest things were to take away from that. Uh, the first being that Jaden Bradley might be the best point guard prospect I've evaluated since I started doing this. Um, you know, he's just so advanced as far as how he manipulates defenses, how he looks people off, how he looks teammates open, how he passes teammates open. He can score it as well. But I mean, we both know that he is a pass first point guard, um, super quick, deceptively athletic. I mean, I remember texting you like after he had a layup 
where his head was almost at the rim where I was like, this is how I'm seeing the athleticism. It's not even, you know, some crazy highlight dunk that you're going to see on a, on a mixtape somewhere. Um, and anytime somebody stuck a hand anywhere near him, he knew how to absolutely take advantage of it, whether it be drawing a foul, whether it be low-key grabbing the guy and pulling him and knocking him off balance without the referees really noticing. Like, there's just so many things that he does that are, are what pro point guards do that we don't see at this level that if you know what you're looking for, it really stands out and it's a separator for him. Um, I think he's in the same tier as guys like Lonzo Ball, you know, or, you know, these guys are more scorers, but like Trey Young, Kobe White, Darius Garland, like he's a guy I think in, when it comes time for him to be drafted, he's going to be highly touted. It was a lot of fun to be around this event during the fact, or well, Shaquille Moore, a four-star point guard and Josh Hall, you know, depending on what you're looking at, four or five-star wing, both at Moravian Prep, they're friends. Um, you know, Shaquille committed during the event on Saturday night. Josh ended up committing the following Monday. They're both going to NC State. But just kind of being around that program and, and seeing how much those guys really were enjoying, you know, Shaquille committing and, and congratulating his family. And then, you know, just seeing Josh and, and kind of, him not being ready to tell us that he was going to NC State, but you kind of just got the feeling that like he knew where he was going and was completely comfortable in the decision. Um, that was just like a lot of fun to be around. And, and those guys are both going to inject some energy into the Wolfpack next year, especially Hall, who looks like he could potentially be a one and done player if he continues on his development curve. Um, and then speaking about one and done guys, the third thing I really want to talk about is that, Charles Bediaco. He's at Andrews ISA Academy in Ohio. 6'11", probably just under 200 pounds. Moves super quick. Great shot blocker. Um, The term unicorn gets thrown out far too much in today's game. But, you know, we use that really to describe guys who can both space the floor and punish defenses from beyond the arc and guys who can block shots. And that's exactly Bediaco's game. Um, he actually spent some time with me talking about how he needs to work on his post game still, uh, which is a welcome thing to hear just as far as, you know, we have a lot of big guys in the game now who, who want to almost completely face up from the high post and not post up at all. And here's a guy who already has those ball skills, but knows that he still needs to be gritty and go and get it down on the block as well. If he's going to max his effectiveness. Um, and, and it's that kind of knowledge and understanding of the game that makes me not want to bend against him as far as his uh, pro prospects moving forward. I think he's the kind of guy who really fits the modern game. And um, it, while it remains to be seen, if we see him in college next year or as a 2021, uh, I think we're going to end up seeing him in the NBA within the next like three or four years. Great insight as always on the high school side of things from our national high school scouting director, Brian Flynn. Uh, That's going to be a wrap for episode two of the Made Hoops podcast. Please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to follow Made Hoops on social media platforms, Instagram and Twitter at Made Hoops. You can find me on social media at Eric underscore Hampford on both Instagram and Twitter. Brian, where can the listeners find you on social? You can find me at Made on Twitter and at Hoops on Instagram. How about you, Rob? You can find me on Twitter at, at Noonan Hoops, N-O-O-N-A-N Hoops. And same thing for Instagram, Noonan Hoops again. Also, be sure to check out our partner at Pure Hoops Media for their extensive storytelling, insight, and analysis in the world of basketball. Until next time, have a good holiday weekend. <laughs>